This is Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Garang Jones, and we've got fan favourite back on today, Mr. Leo Jenkins. Uh, we had him on recently. Uh, he's a former US Army Ranger, great bloke. And um, before we get into that, just want to tell you about today's episode, which is sponsored by me, Garang Jones. I write books. Do you read books? Maybe you and your local organisation burn books. Either way, I have signed copies available for sale. Uh, if you want more than more, I've got Brothers in Arms, which, by the way, uh, is now available on audiobook in the United States. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I've been trying to get out of that on there for a while now, so I'm really glad that we've been able to to do that so that our American listeners, my American friends, you can get um, Brothers in Arms on audiobook, which is read by myself. If you don't like the sound of my voice, you probably wouldn't be here. If you do like the sound of it, then you're in good luck. There's an eight-hour audiobook that you can go and listen to. Uh, if you like historical fiction, I've got my series about Roman legions. I've got Ambush, Siege, and Legion. A lot of people getting stabbed in the face in those. Uh, if you want a bit of murder, sex, drugs, rock and roll in Vegas, then we've got Lost in the Fire. Uh, if you or anyone in your family is into the kind of like Lee Child, Jack Reacher kind of books, then uh, then that's the one for you. So if you want to get a nice little signed copy for Chrissy for Christmas, then um, yeah, just you can either give me a shout on social media or there's a link in the show notes that you can use. All right. Let's get into the show. As they say in Mexico, Por favor, do una bienvenida de guerra, señor Leo Jenkins. I said that because he lives in Mexico. Give a very warm welcome to Mr. Leo Jenkins. Leo, welcome back to the podcast, mate. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm typically not allowed back into a place once I've been there. <laughs> well, once, so this well, is nice. You've got, like, you got beautiful bookshelves behind you, which, are, you know, that, that's the equivalent of me seeing a nice big pair of boobies. So... <laughs> or at least it at least it is now after lockdown. Um but mate, yeah, I've I prepared for today's podcast by watching the Spanish language uh, college football on the weekend. I've gotta say, right, I thought I would I thought if I start watching college football in Spanish, I will just pick up Spanish. Hasn't happened. Um because I mean I thought if I lived in Mexico for four years and had a child here I'd pick up Spanish and it hasn't happened, so don't be too hard on yourself. You don't speak Spanish. I mean I can order the Fuck out of a taco. Yeah, just say but, taco. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, taco. Meaty, mito, taco, mito. That's how I get get it done here. Uh, yeah, I, I get by. Is your Mrs. Mexican? No, she's Canadian. Oh, well, there you go then. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Huh? Uh, what, 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 what do you find that like living in a country where you don't um, understand, say, all the languages going on around you? Because I know for people who, who have been on deployment, sometimes it can kind of like, it can feel a little intense when you don't know what people are like you know and you're in a busy place and you can't understand anything anyone's saying yeah it it does have its effects you know um i'm a person who traditionally has like if i have a strength at all it's been my ability to communicate with words and that strength is definitely removed when you live in a country where you know you can't understand three quarters of the things that are being said um, and that you have like this thought that you want to get across in conversation and you don't have the words to do it anymore. It's very humbling, I would say. I think as well as that, as well as when we go to other places where we don't speak the same language, we're often trying to put our thoughts into another language. But what we never really kind of take it, uh, into consideration is the way that we think is so different as well. So it's not like a necessarily a literal translation. Like some places don't have words for concepts that we have in the West and vice versa. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, there are every country that you go to, regardless of how similar they may seem um, in, you know, even with this, speaking the same language, 
there are nuances of culture that um, you pick up on. I, so they said, uh, the missus is Canadian. I went to early on, I think it was like the first year we were dating. I went to her family's Christmas and it was huge. I mean, there was probably 25, 30 of her family members all there. And, and, you know, I sat down and at face value, I mean, I could be Canadian, you know, we're having conversation and, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes into dinner, it got brought up like you're American. And then the next question was, have you ever fired a gun? Yeah. And you're like, well, it's so funny you should ask. And then you start pulling it, pulling them out from your armpits. and all. Yeah. It was kind of one of those things like, you mean like at someone? Yeah. Because yes. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like, then the, the, you know, the, the rest of the evening kind of became these series of questions about like, whoa, like you guys just have guns. And like, yeah. so it was like this, 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 you know, this slight nuance is difference in culture from, from one country to the other. Um, and I, like, I like to think that like through that conversation, through that dialogue, we, all of us at the table kind of learned a little bit more about another culture, but yeah, I was the, I was a token American there for, uh, for that Christmas. And, um, but it's, I mean, that's the value of going to other places is you learn that not everyone thinks the way that you do and not everyone has the same experiences and the same background that you have. That's pretty valuable, I think. Yeah, dude, I see it a lot with, obviously, I spend a lot of time in America. Um, I'm quite American thinking in my thinking, so I'm, I probably don't stand out that much. But, like, you know, America and Britain, on the face of it, look quite similar. But then there's some things, for instance, like the their abortion is an election issue. It's like, over here, we're like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the, the other day, I, um, the other day, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I know some of the Black Rifle guys are. You know, I'm sure he's a good bloke. Dan Crenshaw was poking holes in Kamala Harris because she wants uh, health care for people. Now, I'm not a fan of Kamala Harris at all. I think she's fucking evil in a lot of ways. But I was like, well, hang on, health care for all. That's, that sounds all right, doesn't it? And, and like, but people were like, because you're not going to come across many people in the UK who are going to be like, well, oh, that free healthcare we got. Now, oh, fuck that. I don't want. I don't want that free healthcare. Get rid of it. But it's such a fundamental thing here, and something that even someone like me who is not very much. I am, you know, not very kind of like so. Like I've got. It's. I guess in Britain, I, I suppose my point is that I can be quite conservative in a lot of ways fiscally, but I'm all for giving up taxes to pay for healthcare for everyone. Whereas in America, you could have a hard time being on the right offense for one thing but saying that you want to have healthcare i mean i just so those two positions are probably like untenable for anybody in politics which is why i think we need a third party um somebody in the middle there that libertarian party that's come around that is fiscally conservative but socially um progressive and we just haven't given that party the opportunity to debate on the same stage with the other two knuckleheads well, we had Tulsi on the podcast, and Tulsi's awesome, and I want Tulsi to be world president. And uh, um, it just—it's mad because she had some ideas like that, um, and her own party torpedoed. <laughs> so it's like it's—it's—it's it's, it's nuts, dude. I honestly don't see how a third party gets established, though. I just don't. At this point, it's like how how could it happen? I really just don't see how it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it—you it, uh, have to have some type of major political event right i don't want to use the word revolution man people yeah, <laughs> <Viva> revolution <laughs> people have been tossing that shit or civil wars just calm down man calm down where there's 
be, be, be cool, be chill. All right. We, first of all, we already know who's going to win that fight between the right and the left. Uh, second of all, like it's not good. It's not good for America or their allies for us to be having that kind of a talk. So you know, it's only, it only really benefits the you know people who stand to profit from our demise. Um, so, but yeah, I think you know w- with the way that things are set up, it, you know, you have to have um, it's like eleven and a half, twelve percent um going into to just to be able to have uh, in like three or four different national polls in order to be able to get on the stage but you're not going to get those percentages without being on the stage yeah. on the debate stage uh-huh. yeah it's the, the structure is set man um right now and, and you're right like it w- without their like barring any kind of major <laughs> event um th- like having a third a legitimate third party in there to mix things up is is going to be kind of difficult Dude, there's problems in America, but there is not a single problem in America that's worth having a civil war over. <laughs> like, there's just not. Like, I, I'm so I'm sorry, but there's just not anything right now that's just worth. Could it happen? I'm sure there could come a point where something could happen, but right now, there's nothing in there that's like, oh, the best, the better alternative to this is civil war. No, I don't think so. Um, although I do enjoy thinking about it because, I was, like yourself. I'm a writer. I have an imagination. It's quite, you know, and also with soldiers. And I'm sure there's definitely a part of me that's like, like running around the whole, like the idea of running around Hollywood doing a bit of pew, pew, pew is quite good, quite fun. Story. That's <laughs> fine. Let's not do it in reality. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, 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 that's one of the things, dude, isn't it, though? It's like getting to explore because you're like, oh, yeah, this would be fun. I get to shoot some people, annoy me. And then you yeah. start thinking, like, Wait, what happens to my family yeah, when I'm away good. doing this? What, they get put in a mass grave? No, that doesn't sound so fucking good. And and that and and that's the reality, dude. I, I think one of the things about the great things to tie this back into traveling is like um you go to somewhere like Croatia or you know, Bosnia or somewhere like that, and you're like, Oh, the people here are exactly the same as me. Um, well, ninety nine point nine percent, you know, similar core beliefs wise and stuff you know they believe in family they believe in like you know they're not they're not a different species of people and then you're like wait 20 years ago these people were putting their neighbors into mass graves and then you go to africa and you meet people in africa and you're like oh yeah these people get just like me too and you're like oh these people have been putting each other into mass graves and you realize that you're only ever like a few years away from a mass grave if you're if you're not very careful about it yeah, we have some some pretty serious tribal roots as as a species, you know, like, um, and that's still affecting us and us, you know, trying to look after our tribe, so to speak, and attacking another tribe and the, the consequences of that when we're not, um, when we're not thinking about the consequences can be the most dire. I have a question for you. Um, okay. So with that, right, like, war is something, you know. Uh, we've had um, for the entire history of our species in some way or another. Uh, it seems like it's not going anywhere anytime soon. We've established that civil war is not a, a very good idea. Um, but what, in your opinion, is is worth war? Well, as an example, the Second World War. But here's where it gets murky, because you can go, right, it was 100% worth stopping Hitler and it was 100% worth stopping Japan here's the problem Hitler rose to prominence because we decided to punish Germany for the first world war and you have to ask the question if we'd have been a bit more forgiving about the first world war and Germany hadn't have been forced into an awful depression and he wasn't able to basically whip people up and say yeah like it because the thing is about the first world war is Germany were in it right up to the end 
So there was a lot of people that were like, and you know, if anyone's ever done a bit of fighting or anything like that, you might have lost a fight or a game of rugby or whatever. You think, I was fucking in that to the end. I want round two. Would that have happened if we'd have gone, you know what, we all fucked up here. We're not going to put these reparations on you. It was us. Everyone was at fault here. Let's fucking, let's, let's build ways to strengthen each other like ties with each other rather than go you're the fucking one to blame here now you're 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 going to be we're, we're all going to basically punish you we're going to get richer off the back of you that's just going to lead to problems and and i generally believe that hitler never would have been able to come to power if we'd have dealt with the aftermath of the first world war better so you know was it worth going to war there yes was it possible to avoid war yes and then like let's look at the japan side of the second world war was it worth going to war after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor for America? Absolutely. But they were killing millions of people in China before that. You know, um, and then I look at our own era. Was it worth going to, like, Saddam Hussein? Bad motherfucker. doing lots of nasty stuff to nasty people. But if your only plan is to replace him with other stuff that do nasty people, that do nasty stuff to nasty people, is it any better? I would argue that Iraq has got worse. But then again... Maybe there's hope now where there might not have been before. But then I look at Rwanda. Was it 800,000 people massacred? We did nothing. So I don't believe that the I don't believe that Western governments act for humanitarian reasons. I think that they act. I think whenever they act, there's a reason for it. What is worth it for me? Um, what is worth it for me is basically because I realize now I think that the whole thing is no matter if you're on the other side you have a perfectly justifiable reason for what you're doing so I think the only thing you can act of yourself as a soldier in your heart at the time does it feel like you're doing the right thing and that's about as, as uh, that's that's about the only thing you can ask because you could if you were if you you and I were born in Japan we probably would have joined the imperial Japanese army and been fucking loving it and thought America was the world's devil uh, if we were born in Afghanistan, we probably would have been wanting to shoot rangers and guys from the Royal Welsh. So I just don't think that it's possible to come up with a real... I think you just have to know, in your heart, do you think you're doing the right thing and you're trying to do the right thing? Because um, most of us think we're doing that and then we're probably actually doing more harm than good. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts, mate? Uh, as a joke, right? But also, if Hitler would have sold a couple of paintings, right? Then maybe World War II might not have happened. So, uh, yeah, right? Like... Yeah, got his dick sucked more. Like, let's be honest. If if more dicks got sucked, there'd be a lot less wars going on. <laughs> yes, this is. I think this is very accurate. All right, uh, um, and 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 indulge in the arts, man. You never know. You know, you, this this is a terrible <laughs> painting, and it's going to cost you a few pounds or a few dollars, but it might stop the next world war. Just keep this fucking Hitler, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> from rising to power. Um, I think it's it's complicated, right? You summed it up pretty well with those examples. Um, I, I think that war is a necessary, has been a necessary thing and will continue to be for some time. I think we indulge in it a little bit too frequently. Um, and I think a big reason is because, um, it is a, such a small percentage of our populations who are going, um, and, and how do I, like going and doing the fighting and having to examine, well, um, does this feel like this is, uh, altruistic does this feel like this is what i need to be doing and i think that if more people shouldered uh, the responsibility of those conflicts and were more exposed to the actual realities of those genocides those mass graves um then we probably wouldn't put as much 
um, public support behind uh, wars that were not for the best reasons or best causes. Um, kind of dancing around the answer here, but it seems to me that um, we've gotten to a place where, um, you know, I, I think that in a lot of the countries who are waging wars, there's such a small sliver of people who are actually having to fucking shoulder it and to actually see with their own eyes, uh, whereas a lot of other people are getting the information that that is a true evil there they hear it, it's the propaganda, and then they believe it, and then they back it, they support it. Um, so I think the mechanism that, that kicks us off into war is something that, um, you know, we, we really need to take a deeper look at. And it's one of the things that having a veteran's perspective on things, why it becomes, this is the more valuable aspect of their nature, right? I believe, this is my opinion, that, that a, a somebody who fights in a war for a, a good cause or a great cause, be it, um, you know, liberty, um, or to, you know, protect, um, the weak is, is a great thing, but an even greater thing is the ability to see the rights and wrongs in that and bring it back to society and go, look, this war wasn't necessarily worth it. Uh, you know, you mentioned in, in Iraq where, um, you know, our, it's arguable that it's in a better state now than it, than it was, you know, when we went in there. And to be able to have been there and to bring that information back, I think, is is incredibly valuable so that we as a society can determine with a better uh, perspective and better education on what will be worth the next war. Um, and if we are truly going in to, um, eradicate a draconian, uh, a dictator who is maliciously like mowing down hundreds of thousands of innocent people, and we decide that that's the reason why we're going, then that reason needs to be applied in every other place, regardless of natural resources, um, that those actions are occurring. If we are to claim that, that war is is being used as a benevolent scalpel yeah uh, dude I, I totally agree and something else i think and this is no disrespect to anyone who's lost a friend in the wars in iraq and afghanistan but those wars were very low risk for american britain you're not like so back in the day you get your army you you know you pull like you, you get your army drawn from your population and you, you the warriors the very small standing army you'd have another country would do the same and whoever won that battle might end up basically taking over then the lands that you just fought over um and that was it you know like that's why there was so much fluctuation in the size of countries and the size of empires because a battle was usually decisive so if you were um if you were let's say the king of england and you wanted to launch an expedition into france you knew that if you lost that battle you could end up losing a hell of a lot more because your army is gone then and they can just come and take it and take it and I think that gave real pause to people before thinking, like, like even in, you know, the Napoleonic Wars, if we'd have lost the Battle of Waterloo, the Europe would look very, very different. We don't have that now. When we went into Iraq, there was nothing that was going to happen in Iraq that was going to change the life in America for most people, unless you happen to have a family who uh, either were from Iraq or you had family that went over to Iraq, which is, as you said, 
a tiny percentage of the population, even smaller from Britain. Nothing was going to happen to Britain off the back of Iraq. Nothing was really going to happen. Even, I hate to say it, if there was another 9-11, it still affects a very small percentage of the country. It, uh, 9-11 didn't grind America to a stop. America's, America, can absorb, America could absorb losing chunks of the country and keep going. Um, and I think that is part of the problem is that it's almost for these politicians, they're playing with house money. They're not involved themselves. Their kids aren't involved. Their extended family aren't usually involved. And what is the, 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 the upside is if they win, then they look like this great statesman who's, you know, rebuilt a country. If they lose, there's no ramifications. We don't like T- Tony Blair is worth sixty million now because of his two hundred and fifty grand every time he's on the speaking circuit. So there's just no downside for it for that for them. When you don't even have to worry about loss because you're fighting against a malleable concept, right? So all you mm. have to do is just move the goalpost a little bit. We're no longer we're not fighting Afghanistan. We're friends with Afghanistan. We're fighting terrorism, and terrorism is something that can change. If you feel like you're starting to lose the war as a politician, you just move the goalpost a little bit on what terrorism means. Um, you change the definition slightly. It's not like these are the borders of that. That it's it's completely malleable. So there is no losing for the people who decide to um, engage in those wars. There's only winning. Yeah, and let, let's look at exam, uh, t- you know, Afghanistan as an example because we got some people listening probably weren't even born at the time. You know, first mission was right. We're going to go into Afghanistan and go after the training camps and the people who were behind 9/11. Right, makes total sense. Everybody on board, clear, defined mission. Everybody around the world is literally like fucking go get them. And then the Taliban are like, well, we're not handing them over. We didn't at that point have to engage the Taliban. There wasn't any need for that. We could have still gone after the training camps. We could have still gone after those individuals. But I think out of spite, we said, when, uh, because America, I think, was kind of had this impi- like, kind of like bruise to the honor. It was like, well, f- well you're going to hide them while we're coming after you. But that wasn't the mission to start with. And then all of a sudden, the missions moved. And it, and you've gone from you've gone from get the terrorists that were responsible to because here's the thing it, the Taliban in the way like because it imagine there was a group of people in um a, a, like let's let's flip the table imagine there's some people who are they want a more democratic Russia let's say and they live in America and they trained in America and Russia are then like hand over all these people America aren't going to do that but we asked it of the Taliban and they said no and. Honestly, there's probably a way that it could have got done that didn't involve fighting. But I think they had their backs put up. They didn't, you know, they can't back down from that. Um, So whatever the cause, the fact is the war then expands. So the goalposts, as you say, have moved. Now all of a sudden, right, well, we're removing the Taliban. Well, hang on. And then now it's moved to now we're we're installing another government. So we've gone from tracking down a few cells of people because most of of Al-Qaeda... It wasn't a huge organization at the time. You're going after a few cells of people. Now we're now we're installing a government, and then it was the and now we're eradicating drugs. Wait, hang on a minute. Where did that part of it come into? So now we're eradicating drugs. Now we're holding Helmand Province, and now it's oh we're gonna we're gonna hold these towns. And we're gonna fight the Taliban. When we first went into Helmand, there was hardly any Taliban in there. They came there because British troops went. So they came in there. Then the locals rise up because they're like, well, we've seen this movie before with the Brits and stuff here. We don't want this. Now you've got a local uprising. 
Now the, the, the goalposts change to, well, we're, we're trying to secure Afghanistan. Well, hang on, it's only gone crazy because we've come into the place. So there's the goalpost moved again. And it went from that to, well, we're going to secure elections and we're going to give them, we're going to secure the town centres. And it, and it went from that. And then it was, well, now we're going to have a safe withdrawal and we're going to withdraw from the country and leave them with the tools to build it. In the space of a few years, the mission changed multiple times to look like nothing it had looked like before. And there was no coherent strategy. And to make it worse, on top of that, I don't know how it worked for you guys, but for us, with British, uh, with the British brigades coming in every six months, every new brigade commander comes in, as well as the politicians on top having their new plans, he's like, oh, right, the last six months, his, the, the last brigadier, his plan was to attack all the time. Mine's going to be to go back to being a, a lower, you know, like a lower kind of threat, and we're going to engage more with the locals. And then the next one comes in and does a different one, and a different one, and a different one. And there was never any coherent strategy in it. And then if, if you look at that, dude, like if whether you're talking about your life or war, without a coherent strategy that you've planned out for years, how will you ever achieve anything? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Afghanistan is has been a quagmire for more than one empire. Um, and yeah, even going in there with a fairly cohesive strategy, it's not a, it's not a ideal place to, you know, uh, try to meet the enemy on their terms. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, you're, (laughs) yeah, I, I think that there was some, some other things there, right. Where it was monetarily beneficial for people for us to stay engaged in that conflict for longer than it need be, um, defense spending and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it, like it, the sad thing is, is that like and again, it's a sliver of the population of the people who had a fight there, and then they scratch their heads afterwards and go, "Why the fuck? What was that about?" You know, because you might have been, you know, your tenure there in the war as a as a as a soldier uh, could have been partially for one of these generals' time periods. One of your deployments could be there when it's like, "All right, it's all on," and then the next the next go at it, the next year that you're deployed again, it's like. No, we're a peacekeeping force, and and you you know you see the realities of it there. You know you see the girls who have had acid thrown in their face from the Taliban, you know, just for trying to go to school. So you know, on the ground level, you go, well, these guys are bad guys. So even though it wasn't our mission initially to go in after them, um, this is a good thing that we're doing. And there's always a way, I think, to justify the position of, okay, I think what we're doing is good. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that what I'm doing here is good. I know that when I signed up, it was to do something good. And as the goalpost changes uh, from the, the larger scale, the political scale, it then also changes for the person on the ground, just to be able to avoid the cognitive dissonance of, of like, man, I'm here, but I don't think I should be, uh, but I still have to take these orders and do these things. And I do think that a lot of the individuals who were there, the soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, um, they were really, truly doing something in their heart of hearts that they, they believe to be good and altruistic and making a difference and a change and in a positive way. But when you look at it, when you zoom out on that particular conflict, you, I mean, it's like, um what what 
you know, we could say numerically we've accomplished this or that, but I mean, they came out with it, um, the reports that pretty much have admitted that after 18 years in Afghanistan, that they never really had a definitive strategy. And it's such a failure from the top because you have people who are so willing and they're, they're so steeped in their patriotic belief and their moral belief of, of, uh, you know, um, removal of oppression and the promotion of liberty, uh, that they're willing to die for it. They're willing to lose limbs for it. And you have this core of people within your society. Um, and I think that it is our responsibility to honor those people and to give them a mission worth fighting for, um, you know, to, to give them that. I totally agree with me. Um, and I think we went into Afghanistan for the right reasons. And I think once we were there and the mission got expanded and things, I still could have turned out for the best. But it was leaving that fucked it up. That that undid everything that was worth doing. If you go to a fucking gym for an hour and then you neck a couple of pizzas on the back end of it, you know, I, you know I'm trivializing it because it hurts to think about. All those locals that came on board, what happened to them? They're fucking dead. And they died in horrible ways because we left them behind. And... Um, these are these are lessons. These are lessons to carry forward, absolutely. right? And this is why, again, the the person who is who is going into those environments and bringing that back, that you know, like I shout it quite a bit. Like we we need we should really pay attention to our veterans who have been through these experiences um, and not trivialize them. You know, there's a lot of like. Uh, you come back from war and there's this like you're damaged goods now with post-traumatic stress and all these things. It's like, but this, this person has, you know, um, such a valuable personal firsthand experience about what a war can be used in a good sense and in a, in, and in a terrible sense and to give that uh, knowledge to the collective good so that not the entirety of society has to go and actually experience it. But if they're willing to listen um, uh, to that perspective, to those stories, um, then when it comes time to give support to another war that they might look at it uh, uh, more comprehensively um, and to hold the politicians who are pulling those levers accountable for those shifting of goalposts, so to speak. The problem is, um, the problem is, well, there's a few problems. One is that young people are the ones who go to war and young people do not listen. I would like, there was people that were saying this stuff when I was 20 years old and I'm like, whatever, I want to go to war. Uh, whatever, you're wrong, I want to go to war. Touché, yeah. The other problem is um, in the First World War, uh, in Brit British losses were over 800,000 and that was from a population, that is, uh, and that's British deaths, and that was from a, it's basically 6% of the British male adult population was killed in the trenches. That's that's killed in the trenches. 6% of the male population of Britain, right? Everyone knew someone that had suffered. Now, the fact is that we make up, especially fucking combat troops, we make up such a tiny percentage of the population that even if every single one of us stood up and said, let's not go to this next war, it's wrong, we're just not enough votes. And the fact is, I don't really think that most people do give a fuck because, um, one, most people are just absorbed in their own lives and don't really care. And the other thing is, most people believe what they're told. So if um, a guy on TV with a suit is saying, um, oh, there's this, this is what I find really mad, mate. People are like, oh, yeah, I never believe my government do me any harm. 
And they're like, oh, well, what about this government that lives on the other side of the planet? Oh, yeah, they're bad, they are. They're out to get us. Like, they don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you. Like, they care. That's Oceana over there. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. They're, worried about, they're worried about what's going on in their backyard. A dictator doesn't care about Karen in the UK. A dictator is worried about his, what's going on in his own country. Um, but I just... The thing is, mate, here we are. After years, thousands of years of human civilization, we've got every single one of us is potentially connected to everyone else in the world, pretty much. And we're still doing the same shit and we're still fighting. How many people in America, how many people in American Britain really give a fuck about what's going on in Syria or Mali or any of these places? Not many. You live in Mexico. The deaths in Mexico are insane. If there's anywhere on the planet that we're, that it would make sense for America to be concerned about intervening in, it's Mexico. People give a fuck. Just want to go on holiday there. You know, it's, it's it, people don't care. Is a bottom line. But a lot of people don't care unless it's happening to them personally. They don't care. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, there's a there's a self interest in as long as we're comfortable. Yes. Um, you know, we have our particular comforts and um, you know, kind of status quo. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's there you would you would think right like there's obviously you know there's three letter government agencies who have an interest in making sure that the there's just enough turmoil in other countries like Mexico and Central America and South America, um, but uh, yeah, I mean there's 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 more active trigger time going on in wars I think in the, in the cartel wars in Mexico with you know um, foreign presence and, and actors here than there probably have been in Afghanistan for the last couple of years. Um, and it is, man, it's, it's real. But again, here's another malleable uh, ideology, this like a war on drugs, right? That's another thing that you can move the goalposts to suit your political needs and, and uh, you know, to go after what you want to go after in that when you want to go after it in the way that you want to go after it to benefit, you know, your political uh, standing and sitting. So it's uh it, the, the bottom line is um, uh, trust but verify, right? Like we should really check up <laughs> on our politicians whenever they say anything. And the fact checking websites, as you said before, man, who owns those? So you know, it's <laughs> it's. I think it's 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 necessary in all types of things like this. Um, you know, and through this, you know, knockdown uh, political environment that we're in, to not just blindly listen to somebody because they wear our color. Um, because, you know, this is the political affiliation that I have prescribed to previously or that my father prescribed to, therefore I will. Um, it's very important more than ever um, to do our research. And the research is available, right, uh, to read books, to, and not, you know, not just go and look for the answer that you want on the internet uh, that has, like, the the title that will support what it is that, um that you believe so that you can share that's bullshit that's not doing research that's just trying to confirm your own bias um but to actually truly question first your own belief and why you have it in these things and 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 why go to war and um you know and what any other of the uh, of the maybe uh, less consequential political decisions that um are being made for us sadly um while we as a people kind of sit by and, um, you know, eat our chicken nuggets and watch Netflix. Mate, with that research as well, I'm a big believer that you don't even need to research what's being said or done right now. Research history and then you can fit, you will fit in what you will see now 
will just fit a pattern that you've seen before. Because what you're seeing now is so heavily doctored and by you're not like you can't really find you can't really find out exactly what's going on now anyway. But if you recognize patterns and you recognize traits and you recognize like right, this is like I've seen this kind of person in this kind of position of power before. This is what happened. Right, right. America is 245 years old now. Okay, well, what happens when a country is usually that old? Those things are usually there, and I, I'm a big believer in history, mate. I want to. Um, you mentioned the war on drugs. I want to get your thoughts on that as someone that's living in Mexico, and um, obviously as an American with guns. <laughs> without 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 guns, I have no guns here. There are no well, there are no illegal guns here in my the, place. Just hands. Just, <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, you know, I think um, I like the quote, uh, it's not a war on drugs, it's a war on personal freedom. Keep that in mind at all times. Um, I think if we if we can't decide what to do with our own consciousness, then, you know, you, <laughs> then what is this conversation that we're having about, you know, women's rights with her body with abortion, right? Like, the idea that like, you know, you're, you're saying like, oh, I can't believe that a, abortion is even a subject matter for in a, in a political debate in the United States, right? Uh, it's a woman's right to choose. But what about a human's right to choose what they do with their consciousness? Uh, what we, we choose to do with our state of mind? Um, you know, I think that there would, well, statistically speaking, the nations that have completely legalized all form, all drugs, um, haven't had any kind of, um, you know, negative recoil on that. You look at like Portugal, they did it in, I don't know, 2015, 16, something like that. And I mean, across the board, up to a certain amount in each drug, it's, it's, you know, you're not going to get thrown in prison for, for having it or using it. Um, selling large quantities, though, I think is uh, kind of a no-no because uh, Uncle Sugar can't get his tax money out of it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we could end a lot of, a lot of deaths, um, a lot of suffering, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of conflict if we just said, okay, let's take it to take drugs and legalize them and tax them. Um, statistically speaking in the U S you know, here's another, here's another thing that we talk, we talk about a lot is like free healthcare or uh, rather, um, uh, free education or, or, um, paying back of student loans specifically. That's another thing. But if you look at how much money it costs to send every student who is currently engaged in college in junior college, at least in the United States, um, it's the same amount as um, if we were to legalize and tax just marijuana across the board in all 50 states. And that's based on, so like Colorado, when they legalized and tax, I think it was like $151 million they generated in tax revenue the first year, the second, third, like on average around $150 million. They're about an average size state with an average size population. If you multiply that times 50, um, you would have enough money in a coffer just from pot uh, to be able to pay for the couple of years of college for every single person who's currently attending. So this is just one of the things that you could do with that money. Um, you look at like the opiate um, addiction has gone down in Colorado, right? The actual truly lethal thing um, uh, or drug. Um, since cannabis has been legalized, you look at states like Oregon and, and Colorado who are, they have it on the ballot to, to, um, to legalize, uh, psilocybin, mushrooms. Um, so I think it's happening, but slowly, um, it's an interesting thing 
where I live in Baja, it's like the, the pinky finger of Mexico, the little peninsula. Um, in recent years, um, the marijuana trafficking has actually increased 900% heading south. There's, there's, there's nine times more pot coming from California into Mexico through the peninsula than the other direction. Um, so it's, things are shifting, things are changing. Um, but if you were to across the board everywhere, just decriminalize and, uh, or legalize and, um, tax vice, I think tax it, um, prostitution, legalize it, tax it, regulate it. Use that money to pay for that health care that nobody wants to pay. I don't want to increase my taxes. Okay, Roger that. Like, do you like Just hookers pay it on this big old fucking ounce of coke? Wait, <laughs> you, yeah, you're gonna. You know, like, I don't. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> do you like hookers? You, here's a hooker. You're gonna pay 17 percent taxes on that, and that's gonna pay for everyone's health care. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I think that that's like that's a society I want to be a part of, where we can we can make our own decisions as adults. Uh, and you know, okay, we'll have a, we'll have a tax on it and those taxes will take care of people. Um, yeah. But you say like, you know, the choice of, to alter your own consciousness. It's like, well, you can, because they let us go and buy booze and cigarettes and that just alters your consciousness the same way the drugs do. So it's like, we've already got the precedent of being able to alter our consciousness, which by the way, the idea of somebody else having to give me permission to alter my consciousness is fucking bizarre. It's, but it's, just, just, just from a, a practical point of view, the drug trade doesn't doesn't happen without demand. So the demand is there. Uh, so if people want it, they should be able to fucking have it. And two, just that. So that's me on a um, a kind of like a philosophically philosophically I believe that you should be able to do what the fuck you want yourself right but let's just look at it from a purely like functional um, point of view people want it people are getting it Reagan started was it, uh, Nixon sorry started the fucking drugs war was it back in the 60s 60 years later, if it hasn't worked, it might be time to look at another fucking way of doing things, right? It clearly hasn't worked. It's if, if anything, it's gone the opposite way. It just causes misery in places because it's forced underground. People don't have any control over the quality of what they get. So that puts more stress on people. You can't tax it. The money's going somewhere. So yeah, the it's money. Gangsters. It's yeah, going exactly. against anytime there's been prohibition, look at in American history, uh, prohibition of alcohol. As soon as the government said, you, we're not allowed to have alcohol anymore, the, the people who got filthy, rich, and powerful were the gangsters. Turn for a hard time. The war on drugs isn't about eliminating drugs. No, not at all. The war on drugs is about destabilizing South America. The war on drugs is about being able to keep uh, poor people poor in America. Nobody has ever, nobody. The, uh, uh, is from a rich family is ever going to prison for a few grams of coke or something like that. It's never happening. Your lawyers are going to get you off every single time. And and the, the thing about drug use as well is there's people that take drugs for recreational reasons, which I'm also in support of, and there's people that take drugs because their fucking lives are, are horrible and painful. And a lot of people, you know, they're taking illegal drugs because they can't afford the legal ones. Again, where this is... This is an argument for giving healthcare to people because a lot of people might not need those illegal drugs, and it's you know it's just one thing begets another after that. But the fact is that it makes a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, 
The people that benefit from the war on drugs are, and let's be, let's be honest, there's a lot of legitimate businesses that work with the gangsters too. This is what fucking grips my shit, mate. Um, I know people who have gone to prison because they've had literally a few grams of coke on them, right? So they've gone to prison for that. HSBC got caught laundering $5 billion worth of cartel money. They got a, they got a fine, which, by the way, was less than the money that they laundered, and no one went to prison. No one was fucking reprimanded. So they can get away with that, um, but you will go to prison for having a bit on you. But like, just uh, like I said, on a philosophical level, the idea that someone could tell you what you can and can't put in your body to me is insane. Absolutely. And it's, it's important to realize that there is a difference between legality and morality, right? Just because something is illegal doesn't mean that it's morally wrong. And people will say, well, we can't do that because it's illegal. Uh, there's been plenty of things throughout history that have been illegal that have or have been perfectly legal, right? Burning witches in Salem was a legal event, but that doesn't make it morally right. Um, that, that there is that those two things you know, it's like the Vesey's Pisces. There's a there's a middle slice in the middle where there are, there are things that are both um, legally and morally correct, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh, the same thing. And you know, the idea of there being legal and illegal drugs, I've never really liked that. There are substances that um, are effective. You know, there are um, you know <laughs> why is why is ketamine you know legal and acceptable if it's given to you by a doctor but you know um i understand that the the ramifications of doing drugs that you're not educated on or doing substances that you're not educated on uh and it to certain amounts um would be detrimental to your own personal health but uh damn it so is driving a motorcycle um like there there are risks involved with being on this uh on this planet and we make our decisions and if we want to truly consider ourselves to be free and autonomous beings uh with these valuable things like liberty then we should be free to make our own mistakes i honestly believe as well mate that if you when you actually look when you actually look at look at say people oh you can't take ecstasy and i'll kill you there's hardly any deaths from it and whenever there is it's usually because it was mixed with some fucking poison, basically. Um, and we've got... So we, we get to this place where people can't... A lot of people as well, when they have these situations where someone is in trouble, they won't contact the authorities because it's illegal. But when you actually look at the numbers, like the numbers for alcohol, like the people that die as a direct or indirect result of alcohol and smoking are through the roof. Oh, it's, an, it's incredible. And then how many people have died of cannabis? Yeah. I have no idea, but I imagine it's not many. I think zero. Right. Well, I think around. I, I looked, dude. I looked at like the ketamine. I looked at the ketamine deaths and stuff for the UK, and it's like the people that did it. Basically, they put three grams of it in a bottle of water and drank it. Well, no shit, you're gonna fucking die. That, but that's like saying this. I've got a can of coke in my hand right now. People die from a can of coke. If I bash my head in with it, it's gonna kill me. But like, yeah. um, and I, I, and the reason I'm a real strong advocate in this, and the other thing as well is, I'm all for like, just because they're legal doesn't mean that it doesn't mean legal in the sense that if i just pop to the corner shop now i can just go in there but get a can of coke and get a bag of ketamine i'm not saying that whatsoever i think it's you can be you can have uh, you can have a proper process of buying it which is re- regulated and maybe not as readily available as going to buy say a, pa- a six pack of beer i'm not I'm not saying that whatsoever but i i do i do believe that you know you have the choice that you should have the choice to do what you want 
Um, but what what kind of gets me about it is just that it's the it's the demonization against it is is so clear. Like whenever I see politicians and people going out of their way to demonize something now, I always think, right, okay, let's have a look at what's on the what's the agenda here. Because the, the fact is, I have had some of my I I literally believe DMT, MDMA, and ketamine are three things that have turned my life around. They haven't turned it around entirely on their own, but they are three very important. Ex- ex- they were three very important experiences that took me from a life of misery and being controlled by PTSD to what I think is a very happy life now. They were instrumental in that, right? But I wasn't allowed those legally. But what I was right. allowed legally was to go and get drunk every night, which I tell you what, made me worse and worse and worse and worse. 100%. 100%. Um, I, you know, I've had this, a, a, a similar experience with, um, with ayahuasca and with uh, psilocybin, with mushrooms. And, um, to where I'm like, those experiences have, have the ability to alter, um, your consciousness just enough to shift you just enough to be able to see yourself as both the participant, uh, and the observer, uh, of what's going on in your life. And like, when you have that perspective, you can, it does, it does amazing things, right? Like, um, you know, the, the depression and anxiety that I've experienced after, um, after coming back, uh, from my time in service after Iraq and Afghanistan, um, were, was crippling for a long time and over a decade, 12, 14 years. And, you know, to the point where like I was having at least on a daily basis, at least once a day, um, some type of thought of suicide, right? It was just there. It was just a part of my my daily, you know, it was just there, you know, um, it would pop into my head, you know, if it was not once a day more, and I observed this, I started microdosing on, on mushrooms, on psilocybin, 200 milligrams a day. And uh, after about a month and a half of this, I realized, I'm like, I haven't had a thought about suicide once. I haven't felt depressed once. I haven't not wanted to get out of bed once. I haven't, like, it shifted all of these things very, very subtly. And I, I kind of looked back on, on the two months. I was like, holy shit, like, I'm actually... I'm actually, I feel great. And I haven't really even noticed like this, this big shifting of a gear. It was just those things had just very gradually slipped away. Now there was a lot of work up to that point. Um, but it, it was <laughs> for that very small thing that, you know, you can operate, um, on your day to day basis and, you know, be remove those, um, those weights, those chains, um, without really any kind of prolonged detrimental health effect. It's to me, it's like, it's mind boggling that something like that can even have a negative stigma around it. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just wild to me. It's like, like, where is the place where this is other than the absolute most extreme scenario uh, that you're, you know, like the idea of like, well, he, t- he took 30 grams of money. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, like that was really, really, really stupid to take that much. Like that's such an extreme example, but outside of that extreme of an example, where are the negatives that outweigh the benefits of these things? The, the way that people talk about the drugs is like, it's like saying like, 
Oh, don't go to the zoo. You'll get eaten by a tiger. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? I heard about this guy. He climbed into a cage and then he passed his second barrier and then he started punching the tiger and he got t- attacked by the tiger. So don't go to the zoo. So don't go to the zoo. Like now, and I'm all for doing these things properly, which is again, a reason to legalize it because then you could have things in a more controlled fucking manner. Um, but for, you know, for me, dude, like, when I did the, like, DMT basically took away my fear of, like, I was very t- tied up in the idea of basically being terrified of death. DMT took that away from me. It doesn't mean I want to die, but just afterwards, it's very hard to explain, but I basically just felt like it's going to be all right. Just be all right. That's basically Just it. connected into the, the notion of that, that, yeah. And then MDMA for me, I was struggling like a lot of vets with being in busy places. Um, I constantly thought anyone who looked at me, you know, fact is, most people are look at, well, especially me, they're probably looking at me going, fucking hell, that's a gorgeous, handsome bit of Welsh beef. But, but like, but if... <laughs> I, get the, I get that whenever I go out too. It's wild, man. But, but the reality is that? Well, at the time, anyone looking at me, I'm like, what the fuck's this come on? What's the fuck? I'm going to fucking knock him out. And I'm like, I'm like, everyone in this club is here to get me. Every, everything's paranoid. I took MDMA for the first time. I was probably like in my early 30s. I was in a club and I came up and I just went... Well, that was silly, wasn't it? What were you thinking? And I was like, look at everyone. Everyone's got their own shit going on. He's got his own shit. He's just trying to relax. He's got his own shit. She's got her own shit. Oh, man, this is great. And people are like, oh, well, you stop feeling that when it comes off. It didn't. That stuck with me. And now, even after that, because I very rarely do MDMA. Um, I very rarely drink or anything now. Well, fucking lockdown. But, like, I see these, I see, but, but like, it, that, that feeling stuck with me of, Oh, we're all in this together, and we've all got shit. Yeah. It stuck with me. Um, and then the, um, the you know the Ketman one. I talked about this on the podcast last year. Um, basically, I was in. I was. It was. It wasn't anything related. Because here's the other thing as well, right? We're all human. Like all that stuff. A lot of stuff we're dealing with. It's got nothing to do with the army. It's just life. And I was struggling to get over a relationship that had been dogging me for years. Not dogging in the sense of like the car park dogging, but dogging in the sense of like it just I just couldn't get past it. And um, and it was just it, it was enough for me to kind of like I had a convers like you you know were saying you the observer and your participant. It was like that. I had a conversation with myself of like, guess what's going on, man? Why are you doing yourself this to you? Like, are you happy? No, you're not happy. You're miserable. Why are you miserable? You know you got you're better than this, dude. You don't deserve this. Do you want to be happy? Yes. Do you deserve to be happy? Yes. Well, come on then. Let's, and it just this obviously went on for a lot longer than that 10 second conversation. But I came out of it on the other side, just being like, I deserve to be happy, and I want to be happy. I will be happy. Um, and I, some people might be able to get there without any other things. It took that for me. It took that experience for me to get past it. So there shouldn't be any kind of regulation to say no. Yeah, so who you know, the fuck like, has the right to tell me who, that I shouldn't have got to yeah. do that? Who yeah, tells exactly. me that I... But on the other side, on the other hand of it, mate, so those three things got me through. When I went to my PT... When I, when I went to and I got properly diagnosed with PTSD, he's like, right, here's a subscription of this. So that was no dramas there. It was like, there's a subscription for this drugs. So I'm like, I'd rather just do... Uh, I'd rather just do a bit of MDMA on the, on, on the weekend once a month if that's all right. No, no, you can't do that. No. Prison. But here's a, bo- here's a box of fucking pills that's going to give you really bad side effects. It makes no yeah. sense. It makes no it sense. Ma- yeah. yeah. You start pulling the, the, the thread on the sweater a little <laughs> bit, right? And it, it, it starts to make sense. Uh, but, like, the idea of, of like, big big pharma, like these pharma, uh, uh, pharma companies 
could just package these things and sell these things and just still make, you know, you probably the margins wouldn't be as good. And so it comes down to profit. And that's when we have to make our own decision and our own choice to legitimately break the law in order to have um, to, to stabilize our own mental health. <laughs> um, and we're, like we're 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 in that point in history where you you, you, you kind of have to be, um, you know, in a sense, uh, uh, participate in it sucks, but it's like it's an, kind of a, a um an outlaw for doing what you know is best for you uh, to make yourself more calm in public, <laughs> you know, like, and we're, and we're not even talking about, we're not talking about going out and, you know, you're not like, Hey, I'm going to start selling this stuff because I want a nicer car. You're literally like, I know myself. I know what made me feel really bad. I know what keeps me as a happy person and makes me I'm not only better at myself, but I'm better with my family. 100%. Society. I tell you right now, podcast listeners, you lot wouldn't have this fucking podcast if I hadn't have done drugs. It's as simple as that. I would be. I would either be dead, or I would be in the same place I was, miserable, drinking, just wanting to be on my own. Like that's where it was. So I'm sorry, I had to break the law to fucking get to this point, which is madness. It is madness. It is madness. Um, and I, but I think the nice thing about it is, I think. A, more and more people every single day are recognizing that it's madness. Uh, and those are the people who, you know, in these places in certain states uh, are, um, they are advocating for the legalization of, of these types of things because, uh, and, and as a result, uh, we are seeing more clinical studies being done. So then people who really need the, uh, the bodies of evidence um, on paper from scientists uh, are now receiving that. But the block um, up until recently with with a lot of these uh, substances uh, has been that because they're considered a schedule one drug um, that is in the same category as heroin, right? Like marijuana is still in this cannabis is still in the same category with heroin. Like that's, you know, that's one of those things that it's like, like you're like, what the f- like that's it that's incredible but again that tracks back to nixon and there was an uh an opiate epidemic going on in the united states when heroin was coming over from uh from vietnam and um it was like this opportunity i think politically it goes okay well we can definitely get this the people to get behind this and well who's okay so the hippies uh they're they're kind of uh, my enemy personally they're smoking a lot of, of pot so we're going to throw a pot in that mix as well we're going to lump all these things together as though they're the same and then we're going to create this ad campaign against all of these things as though they're the same thing let me tell you there's a big damn difference between heroin and cannabis like there's a there's a very and i like you she say that out loud right and it's like well no shit yeah like nobody needs to say that out loud and yet they're still classified together. Uh, and they have wow. been, you know, these ad campaigns um, on television, these propaganda uh, campaigns through our entire youth, man. Like, I don't know if you had like a, this, your brain, this is your brain on drugs with like the egg sizzling yeah. in the pan, like any questions. It's like the, this, this notion that, um, that, that these things that are so incredibly far apart in the way that they work uh, are lumped in together. Uh, has been uh, a form of social conditioning for us to believe that. And, you know, now that people are realizing how ridiculous this is, or more people um, are realizing how ridiculous this is, um, we're getting these things passed and eventually kind of hopefully gradually working toward this this place where we can 
um, you know, take better control of our own mental health and, you know, remove that stigma. Uh, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who won't say it uh, publicly, but who are, who utilize these, um, you know, forms of medication, um, you know, on a regular to somewhat regular basis. And, you know, people who you would consider to be extremely conservative who don't want to lose their platform based on on that but um on people understanding that about them or, or knowing that about them and it's it is this stigma that i think really needs to uh finally perish i think we're getting there slowly but sure. and that's why i talk about it on here mate i do like that's why I talk about it on here, um, because I do think it needs to be talked more because I have talked to so many vets and what has got them through it has been something like MDMA or KEP or something maybe. And like, obviously, it's the same as having a drink. Like, you know, if you want to have a glass of whiskey, have a glass of whiskey. I wouldn't recommend drinking two bottles of whiskey on the head, right? It's the same with any of this stuff. Just because I'm saying it's legal, like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, right? But... Um, like, you know, f f the whole thing about, oh, it will, this is your brain on drugs. But, mate, my fucking, my brain has only got bigger as a result of doing uh, these things. My comprehension has grown. My, my, my willingness to kind of accept other people for who they are and accept myself as who they are and realize my place in the world is a lot smaller than I thought it was. I used to think the world fucking revolved around me and I still can, We, you know, we all can, can get our ego, can get control of us like that. It's hard to after this. And I love people more in a way that I never thought they'd do. I'm more emotional than I used to be. And all of it is good stuff. Now, was it good for me to be in a hotel room doing booze and coke and stuff for three days. No, that wasn't good. But why was I at that point? Because I was unhappy and I was miserable. Those other ones brought me out of that period. So now I don't feel the need to do that. Right, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I was I was the, the right there, the quintessential bottle of whiskey a day, you know, um, and that has, and again, like once or twice a week, I'll have a glass. Um, uh, but it's not like an, it's not like a necessity to, to ease the, the, to take off the edge of living. It's just a, you know, um, and it is because of those experiences I've gone and I've done the, you know, I've done the ceremonies with the shaman. I've done peyote. I've done ayahuasca and ceremony. The first time I did ayahuasca, that was entirely by myself. Like I was in, <laughs> yeah. So I was in Cusco. I was in, I was in Peru as part of a, a medical mission there. Um, where I went with a, a group called Team Five, which is essentially it's like five former special operations um, medical practitioners. Um, we flew down and we spent about two weeks in the jungles, uh, just giving care to uh, some of the you know the local population. And afterwards, we decided it'd be a cool thing to, to hike up to Machu Picchu. And I found this this woman who had made ayahuasca in Cusco. And I bought a bottle of it and, you know, I asked her, I was like, is this the right amount for one person? And she's like, no, no, no. That's like, like a whole ceremony's worth. Like we're like 30. I was like, oh, good. I'm glad I asked. Right. Cause I would have just drank the whole liter. Um, and so she like kind of uh, takes it down and like, I still didn't know at the time that it was uh, what she gave me was four doses. Um, and usually you, you dose them out, um, you know, every hour and a half, two hours, whatever. And so I walked to Machu Picchu, I took the Inca Trail up, I, was, I, I walked barefoot, it was about 13 miles or so um, on my birthday, it was a cool experience, uh, got up to Machu Picchu and then uh, Aguas Calientes is a little town near there 
that um, I went then and just walked out into the jungle outside of Aguascalientes into this stream and hopped up on this big boulder in the middle of a stream. And I just drank the, the four doses of, uh, <laughs> and took out my notebook and just like, just, all right, let's see what happens here. And it was such a, you know, so like ayahuasca is, um, it's essentially DMT with an MRI inhibitor that allows you to ingest it, right? So um, you get a very similar experience with DMT. It's just prolonged. It's stretched out um, because it's orally ingested. So instead of like DMT, that can be like a four to 15 minute experience. Um, this is, you know, you're talking four to eight hours. Um, and so I sat there on the rock and, and I connected with everything and it was this, it was this amazing experience. I mean, um, you know, I felt more connected in that moment and thereafter with everything, um, and so much more at peace, um, with so many things without having to necessarily directly like talk therapy them. Right. Like, um, it just, you know, I, I, I felt so much more connected. And since I've done a couple of ceremonies with actual shamans and, um, and those were positive experiences as well. I enjoyed it by myself. I kind of got to do my own thing. Um, but through those, through, through, you know, through collective experiences with, um, what would be considered a heroic dose of mushrooms, um, uh, you know, according <laughs> to Terrence McKenna, um, and then painting, you know, for hours and hours, um, and, and trying to get through those things. But the, the concept of this ego, this, uh, the self, right. Uh, you know, if we get into the young a bit, uh, then there's the shadow and then the persona, right. The persona who we're putting out there and this ego, who we are, this is kind of simultaneously in the conscious and the subconscious, uh, and the, all the shadow, um, what these things, uh, from my experiences have allowed is to be able to have the conversation where you're flipping your, your persona, right? If you want to look at that, like, this is my, my Instagram profile, right? This is who I'm putting out in the world, my mask, and I'm flipping this around and now I'm going to have a conversation, uh, my persona with my shadow, with this, this like part of my being who has been back here, um, kind of pulling the strings a little bit and in, in the way that I interact with people, whether it's in a you know, public environment and like you were talking about, like, oh, what's the fucking guy looking at in the club? Like that kind of a, like, that's that shadow actor back there kind mm -hmm. of like pulling some strength, but to allow these two to have a conversation with one another, but then simultaneously to be observing the conversation that's going on internally with yourself. Um, I mean, you really get a better understanding of who you are and your place in you know in this whole big collective thing uh that we are experiencing and to me that has been one of the most i say i like i'm trying to think if it's like the single most valuable experiences in my life but it's i think it might be mine. it's definitely top three that it, what it has done is it has allowed my perspective of all things to be um, simultaneously, all of those things. And I can recognize now readily, even, you know, without these substances, like, oh, that's my shadow actor, right? That's, that's that, that's that part of me back here that is really, um, I can see uh, that shadow poking at me that like, oh, that guy wants to fight you, you know, like, it's like, all right, I know you're just doing your thing now. Like, but like to be able to observe this from all angles and, and to really widen that perspective and, the truly valuable thing is then rerouting these uh, neurological pathways within our own mind that where before it was like the fast track, um, the quick road was from this guy looking at me to this thought that this fight thought, this like immediate thing that's 
that is ingrained in us because of our experiences, be it training and combat and all this, that that's the, that's a super highway. It's that look to that thought of fight. And that now there's this other roadway that is developed. It's like that look, oh, we're all people here, you know? And so you can actually develop a whole new um, understanding of the way that you're interpreting all of your surroundings and holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's definitely my top three. I mean, I've, I think the experience of becoming a father is probably, you know, it's literally up there with that. But um, to be able to tell somebody like, you're not allowed to have that experience because who gives a shit? Like that's, it's my choice. And it's, 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 yeah. It's like saying like, Hey, you know that house you're living in? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're not allowed to go upstairs. What? Yeah. No, you're not allowed to go upstairs. It's like, well, this is my house. Yeah, but you can't go upstairs. All right, well, can I go to the basement? No, nah, I can't go in there either. It's like, well, I got keys to all these rooms. No, nah, not allowed in them. Why not? Um, you're like, well, we, we just decided. Well, who are you? Well, I'm just a person too. Right, well, why are you... So you're, you're a person, I'm a person, but you get to tell me what I do in my head. Have you, that doesn't seem and to then make it's, sense. Have you ever gone upstairs in yourself, in your own house? No, no, I wouldn't yeah. do that. Have they fought? No, I wouldn't. It's like, well, well, hey, here's the thing. So you're keeping, you're, you're trying to keep people from an experience that you yourself have even had. That's wild. Mate, you know, mate, these motherfuckers, when they take political office, that woman you know in Cusco, she should get fucking pour a jar of that stuff down their neck. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I'm not someone that believes that all the problems in the world would go if we all just sat around and, and did MDMA. But I'll tell you this. I think if we all did it at one time, <laughs> I think if, if like at least three quarters of the world did MDMA or mushrooms or ayahuasca all at once, then <laughs> it would give us all the opportunity to look at each other and go, oh, wait, you don't hate me and I don't hate you, you know? Um, all right, cool. Let's, you know, and let's see how long that would last. But I think it would take a little over 50% of the global population to get to that point. But I, I would, that's another thing, man, like uh, to be able to write that short story, that novella, what, what happens if the, like, half of the world or three quarters of the world took uh you know uh, any of these substances all at the same time what's what happens next i'm i'm, I'm working on it uh I, i'm gonna get them work in the water system but mate like because I, I think as well like, i you know i'm a big i'm a big club i'm a big club fan and i've always told tell people there's a difference between clubs where people are popping bottles and trying to show off and an underground sweaty club where people are just going to hear that boom 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 primal river and be up against the stranger and sweating and the strangers in front of you and I'm like you know it's, it's the lights are dark and it's like being in a cave there's a reason people flock to that all over the world and like those clubs you don't see fights I've been going to dance music clubs since I was 17 years old and what am I now shit 37 I've been going for 20 years and you don't see fights in those places and like people like again they're like well it's just the drugs no it's not just drugs but I'll tell you what those drugs do is they take away like all that kind of like you all that baggage you walked in with it's taken away from you because otherwise you're standing with a fucking you got someone sweating you're like oh this fucking sweating on me and you got someone bumping <laughs> in you you're like what are you doing you cunt but like you take that away and it, it it's what people don't realize is when you take something it's not altering your state of mind and making you someone who it's not it's showing you who you actually are yes yeah a hundred percent hundred percent and it's enabling you to be able to you know, better enjoy this human experience. And I, I believe that's why we're here. I mean, I, I kind of have this thing about like how we're all, every individual human is a nerve ending, you know, and we're all interconnected into this larger 
body bundle of nerves, the central nervous system, they were all kind of interconnected. But like our purpose, our function here is to is to experience, to feel. And um, when we are when we are inhibited from doing that because of some of the experiences that we've had, you know, with our uh, you know, with our demographic with, you know, sometimes war has done that to, to where we don't want to go or like it, it, it impacts that, that, um, you know, it should be our, one of our primary uh, missions afterwards to get back to that state of uninhibited feeling um, and experience, be it in a club or, uh, you know, otherwise being able to get on an airplane or any of these, you know, any of these types of uh, things that, um, we might be kept from because of, you know, some of the blunders or the, the, um, or the, the beautiful experiences of our past that have just left us our nerve ending, uh, you know, somewhat incapable of feeling to its fullest and truest capacity. Love it, mate. So mate, one of the things that's kind of like, I think one of the reasons that as I've got older, I've realized going through life, I'm like, wow, I have a lot of flaws and I've got a lot of things to work out and I'm working on them but i know that i will have new flaws and other flaws and like life is a constant battle of basically trying to get better on a daily basis i think where it really hit me where i was like um i really started to get sick of governments and people telling you what to do is when i realized i have problems i have issues this person does too this person as far as i can tell isn't really trying to better themselves or anything like that, at least from what I can see. Obviously, I don't know what they're doing behind closed doors. So knowing that I have flaws, knowing that everyone has flaws, knowing that I bring baggage to the table, knowing that they're bringing baggage to the table, no one can or should be able to tell you what the fuck to do but yourself. And Because at the end of the day, when it boils down to it, in your life, the only person you are answerable to is yourself. Now, some people believe in a higher power and they might believe they're answerable to a higher power. But the bottom line is, is the responsibility on you to do good is, is on you. The responsibility if you fuck up is on you. Um, and I, and it, it, it annoys me because, you know, people think that, you know, people, I, I'm quite outspoken about a lot of stuff and they, they figure that I just think that you know, it's because I have a low opinion of people. But it's actually the opposite. I believe that everyone is capable of greatness. But the more that you tell people what they can and can't do, the more you restrict their capacity to ever achieve that. Do you think anything along those kind of lines? What's your kind of thoughts? Yeah, I think in, in order to be critical, you must be an optimist, right? So the idea of we can see that people are great, you know, we, we are, and we have the potential. I, I guess I, I should say we're good and we have the potential to be great and to hold, we hold ourselves to this standard of being a better version of ourselves each day, as you said, to work through your flaws. And we understand that we're human and that we are doing this, that we are, you know, whatever it is, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual. Right. If it's going to the gym, we're working on our physical being. Um, if we're reading a book, we're working on our mental being. If we're meditating, um, you know, or praying, we're working on our spiritual being. And that we have the ability to improve all of these things, and in doing so, to um, to be a better version of ourselves each day. And we hold ourselves to that standard, and as a result, 
we 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 do improve we and so then we want to hold other people to such a similar standard and this is the uh, a friction point that i've noticed um throughout my experiences is that the the standards that we are we adhere to that we are held to in the military teach us how to um endure not just endure a rigorous standard but to excel beyond it and so it becomes a kind of our our attitude toward things uh, our expectation that other people would also um continue to improve themselves in that way and i think a lot of people haven't seen that yet they haven't had that example they haven't had that duration of time um where they can see how much more they can be and then hold themselves to that standard and um again people generally speaking are good but it is when we are pursuant of that as an individual and hold our society as a whole accountable to that that um that is where greatness begins right and um you know you have to kind of criticize society you know lovingly like I'm optimistic that we will be better. I'm optimistic that um that we as a species will figure this out. These these problems is tribalism that we've had and that we will coalesce and we will come together through our individual responsibility of being a better version of ourselves each day. We will come together uh, as a society and we will do great things as a species. Well, well after you and I are dust, you know. but it takes that personal accountability and that personal responsibility of i must be better we cannot look to our politicians as legitimate leaders of those three pillars of the physical mental and spiritual we just can't man like they have let us down time and time and time again throughout history they're self-serving um and even the ones who are good um don't necessarily have that mindset um so the the onus is on us as an individual to be a better human and to set the example for others to follow and that should encompass that uh those three things the mind the body and the spirit and we need to do what we need to do in order to get to that balanced point of the physical the mental and the spiritual within ourselves and then be an example for others around us once we can do that um i really think that our species is in incredibly capable of accomplishing fantastic things. I'm talking millennial uh, uh uh millennia down the road of us, you know, being an intergalactic species. We have that uh, ability. We just have to um we have to hold ourselves first individually accountable to that and then to be the example. I think that's a really good point mate because I think you know my opinion of most politicians is very low. Uh, I think a lot of people are if you if you need to look at someone at once power and then ask yourself why that is right but let's just say that every politician was a great bloke or woman right it's still not on them to tell you what to do because you need to develop yourself because you know like if 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 they were if they're great it's not it doesn't matter you know you they're not going to be able to they're not you only you can be you right so it's not, it's not even about like the fact that they are most of them liars duplicitous fucking scumbags <laughs> even if they were even if they were great it doesn't take away from the point that it's it's on you to develop all those parts of you because nobody else can do it your parents can't do it for you your kids can't do it for you your mates can't do it for you they can help you along 
but you have to do internal work yourself. It's as, as simple as that. You know, the same as physical stuff. You can, you know, you can take a diet pill or whatever and it can do you any good. You've got to do the work yourself. It's like you said, mate, it's the same in all those, in all those pillars. And I think it's, I, I, I'm outspoken about things. I guess it sounds like you are kind of too. I think it's fine to be critical of society if you're critical of yourself. What you shouldn't be doing is going, right, there's a problem with all this stuff. And it's like, oh, what have you done to better yourself today? Oh, I'm fucking perfect. I don't need to do anything. No, that's not the case. But like, it's, I have a very high standard for myself. I have a very high standard for the UK and for America because I know they're capable of so much more than they're doing. Absolutely. And that requires, I think... Yeah, to be honest with yourself, you have to be able to step beyond where a lot of people are kind of doing the this side versus that side. And, you know, let's hold everyone at a higher standard, a higher accountability um, to to be able to figure this thing out together, to be able to help each other out to figure this out uh, together. Because, man, like we're still <laughs> it's still nature. We're still evolving it, like on the timeline of Earth right? Uh, how long we've been here, right? Earth's been around for about 4 billion years, but the amount of time that it is, that Earth is capable of, scientifically speaking, of, of being able to sustain life, um, we're at about the halfway point, right? So, like, where we are right now from, from Earth being able to initially sustain life with, like, a single-cell organism to now, we're, we're literally about halfway there, and if you think about how much further we could go in our evolution, um, like, in order to get there, we really need to, again, we need to work on ourselves first um, and then to be able to um, understand that everybody is a work in progress, but to hold them up to that standard. Go, hey, look, man, you can be a little better. Hey, don't be so negative. You know, we have a choice here to be positive. We, this, is, this, is a, this is, you know, you can look at the scenarios or the, the political discourse of the day as being this negative thing that the other person is doing, or you can look at it as a positive and try to rise everyone up together in that way and to, to consistently be um, a person who is advocating for that um, you have to, I mean, you have to have your fucking house in line and that is all levels of the house. You have to have the upstairs, you know, you have to know what's going on up there and, and the main floor and the basement um, before you can bring that out into the world. And, um, you know, it is work, man. It's not a pill. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of other things that go along with that. Uh, and there's a process up to that. There is no, there's no easy button in it. Um, but, we're, we're so we're so fucking capable of it you know we have we have created so much as a species I mean we created money you know it used to be a seashell and we're like well this isn't working out let's figure out this next thing and you know we we figured out the concept of human rights we made that shit up you know so that people can have this and we made up healthcare and like you think about civilization man civilization started the first time you know one animal uh, helped another animal set their broken bone and went out and got food for them and brought it back to the cave you know we've been figuring out really complex problems for a long time and i think we're going to continue to do that um, but it is so important to get yourself individually accountable uh, get your get your house in order um, all, all levels of it, every room of it needs to be kind of, uh, 
kind of taken care of. Make your fucking bed yourself first. Clean your fucking room yourself uh, before you go on the internet and start telling other people how to think or what to do with their consciousness. I think, dude, like that on a macro scale as well is like, you know, you mentioned colonizing the stars and it's something a lot of people think about. And sometimes you see sci-fi movies and humanity's colonized the stars, but then they're at war with each other. And I think, I think if we colonize the stars, we've got past that. It's only because we've managed to get past those human instincts of greed and having a fight because it will take all the humanity to probably to to colonize the stars so i think if it ever gets to the point where we've done that then the same way as like for you and me as an individual to reach our potential i think that humanity has potential and that one of the rewards for it would be colonizing the stars but i don't think that we ever get there while we're still in the petty squabbles and stuff that we have now I don't think that the two of those would go hand in hand. A bit closer to Earth, Mars, maybe, you know, but when we're talking about literally the stars, I just don't think that happens until humanity goes to its next level. And that doesn't mean like physically, but it goes to its next level of basically going past petty bullshit. Because let's not forget, there was a time not that long ago where, you know, that guy that bumped into you in a club, you would have just shot each other. Or have a duel in the morning. That still happens in some parts of the world. But by and by, we've moved past it in a relatively short period of time. And hopefully, it will come to the point where people will realize that working with other people is in their best interest. And working on themselves is in their best interest. It all goes back, though, to this thing of comfortable, isn't it? It's like, you know, um, necessity kind of breeds innovation. And right now, a lot of the world... You could live in a shit part of the world now and still be pretty comfortable. You can have a TV in a third world country and fucking food in your belly. And I think that we're at a point where a lot of people are comfortable. And I'm just going to put this out there. I don't think all people are equal. Um, And it's it's got nothing to do with... Um, it's got nothing to do with your race or your religion or anything like that. It's that some people want to be better and some people just don't. And that's how I differentiate people. And I, I think that there will be a divergence in people and that those who, because essentially right now, some people choose to plug into the TV essentially and live their life through it. You know, TV or phone or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's not so far away that you will literally be able to sit in virtual reality and do whatever you want to do. If you want to be with the Kardashians, you'll be able to stick your fucking headset on and be with the Kardashians. And there's going to be a divergence, I think, between the people who are willing to just have life happen to them, as kind of happens already now, but they can do that and then be very even more comfortable. And then there's going to be the people who still seek out hardship. And I think we are really kind of... Because in the past... It didn't matter if you didn't want to seek out hardship. You fucking did it or you starved to death. And that's not going to be the, that's not the case anymore. Yeah, it's definitely not the case anymore. And um, again, it kind of the root of that, I think, was the first person who broke a bone in a cave. And, yeah, fuck you know, that guy. Yeah, like, well, like, and then everybody, you know, that one time when, when the rest of uh, the Homo sapiens got around him and said, all right, we're going we're gonna to take care of this injury and we're going to bring you food so that you make it through it. Whereas, you know, that was the divergence from the animal kingdom, I think. Um, and we've been we've been making that a practice now for so long that there are plenty of people who aren't necessarily injured, um, but they will lay in the cave and let other people bring food to them. Um, and yeah, that's that's a difficult thing, um, you know, to to overcome if that number becomes so high that it puts too much of a strain on the rest of society. Um, and dude, like. If you want to use your one true, beautiful, precious life to plug into the Kardashians, 
uh, and you know you get takeout. That's perfectly okay with me. I like. Um, I will talk a little bit of shit to you yeah, about it, absolutely. but like, I, you're not you're not hurting me, um, <laughs> and you're not hurting my family. You know, um, it's when you start telling me from that seat uh, that you, you, hey, you're not allowed to do this, and you shouldn't do that, and um, you you know you're you're um, you know you're a this name or that name, right? You're a misogynist because you're a man. You're a racist because you're white. You're you know when, when you're getting um, drug into that, um, in, in little ways, it's like, um, that's where it's like, all right, uh, let's shut that down. But it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all, it should be all of our choices where we want to plug into. And I'm not, I'm not one to say like, you, you know, um, it's just, um, I think that this life is incredibly beautiful and the most beautiful parts of it are, uh, the moments, um, directly after hardship and um to 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 withstand the tempest to withstand the storm to to go through the hurdles uh the austerities and to see who you are as a result of them um and be on the back side of them that's where to me it's always been the most beautiful moments and in, in my life and um it does it saddens me when um people choose the easy road over um, uh, over the the one with a few more bumps in it, uh, because those bumps, you know, they 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 tend to give us scars, and our scars build character, and and um, you know, I think those are the beautiful things in life is is overcoming. That's the truth of it all. Um, is to experience, to feel the heat, um, you know, to to feel the cold. Um, those extremes are what make this place where we live so gorgeous. Um, it's it is a choice that we all get to make um, how we live our life. Yeah, dude, I, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm all, if you want to do that, I'm going to encourage you to do other stuff, but it's your choice. If you want to be on the sofa, that's your choice. Just don't try and hold other people back from it. Um, I think it's illustrative when you, like, if you talk to someone that has that kind of lifestyle and you're like, they think what a rich person does or what a successful person does, it's all images of somebody sitting on a beach having cocktails. It's like, look, if you're a successful person who's made a lot of money or has, you know, has managed to move to the other side of the world or whatever, you're not then just going to be someone that then starts sitting on your ass because that's not your nature. But it's funny because that's what they would, someone like that, that's what they picture. Oh, that's what the rich life must be like, getting weighted on hand and foot, lying around. It's like, no, you're not that because you wouldn't be in that position if that's what your mindset was. Your mindset is right. Okay, I've got all this money. What can I now do with it? Or, you know, and, and unfortunately that can cause problems because a lot of people who do amass a lot of wealth are so driven that they then maybe don't use that money in the best way possible because there's so much in the comp- uh, competition, you know, um, mindset and things. What What's your kind of like, what's your take on competition? Like, uh, how do you feel uh, about it? Has, how has it changed in you as you've kind of got older? Yeah, competition has been a driving force, man. Like, uh, and I think that it has been um, on a macro and on a micro scale, um, you know, I... I thrive on competition, um, and I, I I think that losing is one of the best things that can happen to a person, especially at a young age. Um, teaches us humility, um, and you know the the failures, the follies. That's really truly where it's at. Um, it's great when you finally succeed at something. Uh, when you you know you have that piece of writing or that um, athletic performance that pays off after all of those hardships. Um, but like 
you don't get to that place without a lot of failures and like failure. I've said this time and time again, failure is your friend. Um, and we find failure in competition when we compete with others, whether it's, you know, wrestling or running or, um, you know, when we're putting a piece of writing up against other people for, you know, to be included in something, um, you know, or submitting it to a publication, um, when you fail, that's where you, you get a benchmark and that is, that is something that is invaluable to fail, to go and know like, okay, now I have got a new, I've got a new benchmark I can set for myself. The, the important thing is to know that in all of those competitions, you're not competing against anyone else. You're not competing against a rich person on the beach. You're not competing against the other writers who are submitting their work. You're not competing against the runner who, you know, is at the starting line next to you. You're competing against yourself. And that competition against yourself at all times is a fine thing to balance. Um, I know I'm my hardest critic. I know when I write something, like every book I've ever written, I wanted to throw it in the trash and somebody had to keep me from throwing, physically throw it in the trash, like pulling it out of the garbage can. Um, Because I'm like, this is just garbage, you know? Like, no, 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 hold on. Um, Because I'm competing internally with myself. I'm setting a bar that is almost unachievable at all times and then I'm attempting to reach that bar. And then as soon as I do, I'm going to click the bar up another step or two and I'm going to try to achieve that. And as soon as I do, it won't be enough. And as a result, um, you know, I've, I've climbed moderately high in the things that I've done, be it athletics or in writing. And that's because I've never been competing against the people next to me. I'm competing with myself. And, um, that is, uh, to me, it's been, it's, that's been the most, um, correct attitude to have about competition but then when you do achieve give yourself that one moment a little like all right good job now what's the next fucking thing right give give yourself the pat on the back be like all right cool like that was a bestseller like you did good or uh you know you get the message from somebody like hey i read that book and i you know i was going to kill myself and i didn't because i read that book it saved me man like hey i'm going to give myself okay like we did something good there you know to take that moment and to, to understand that that good thing happened because you kept fighting for something better um, is, is really important to not deny yourself of that little, you know, that victory clank, the cheers, um, but to not get so wrapped up in the successes of, of the past that you're not still climbing the ladder to what's coming because you and I are, I mean, we're young men. Um, this is a revelation I've had very recently that like, I'm like, I thought I was going to die when I was in my twenties in Iraq. Like I wrote my own eulogy (laughs) and to hit 30 was mind boggling to me. And now the idea that 40 is, is coming is like, Oh shit, I could live to be 70. I, my ladder, it just like, it's like a, like there was just a whole other extension that just got put on it. And to understand that there are so many more rungs to climb, but, um, to balance between the steepness of that, right? To be able to now at this point in life go, I'm going to choose how quickly and how steep of a ladder and my own internal competition that I'm going to climb. Um, That is, this is where life has become truly beautiful um, because I can choose now. Uh, Guys, did you enjoy that? I know I did. If you did enjoy the podcast today, can you please make a post about it, uh, make a post about the show, spread the love. Uh, if you listen on an iPhone, can you please go and leave a review on iTunes on Apple Podcasts? Um, 
If you just if you don't know how to do it, just stick in your phone. How do I leave an iTunes review? And it'll tell you. Uh, it takes you two minutes, and well, it takes you less than that. And we will be able to bring you um, more guests that you love because one of the things that people do when they get asked to come on a podcast is they check out the reviews. So uh, I do get you guys asking me, can we have this person on? Can we have that person on? Well, you know what? Get your reviews in and it'll make it a lot easier. And we do appreciate you guys that have been doing that. Me love you long time. I want to thank today's sponsor again, Geraint Jones. In fact, I might thank him sexually when I get home. Definitely not in the recording studio though because Peter's looking at me and that makes it very hard for me to get a boner. Uh, (laughs) What I do have though, I have books. I have plenty books. You've got eyes. Uh, you have friends with eyes, and if you've never read the book before, or if you don't have eyes, I also have audio books. So if you've got ears, then you saw it there too. Links to all those in the show notes. And uh, yeah, while you're picking up some books, how about picking up some of our good friend Leo Jenkins? He's come on the podcast twice, given up his time. Let's support him like he has supported us with his great stories. So um, you can check those out. I, um, I highly recommend Violence of Action, which he wrote with friend of the podcast, Matty Scovlin Jr. Violence of Action is a book about Rangers. Um, it's fucking awesome, guys. There's some absolutely incredible stories in there. Highly recommend that one. I'll link it all up in the show notes. Um, and while we're on about the old buying stuff, we have VSOM store. You want hoodies? We want t-shirts? You want vests? Uh, we don't have wang socks on there yet, but I'll get to that at some point. <laughs> Maybe get some socks in there to keep you all company through the lockdowns. Uh, vsomstore.com. Uh, it, all, it all just helps keep the podcast ticking over, guys. Uh, the Royal British Legion are very good to supporting the podcast. Um, we just have some, we have overheads um, for the podcast because we do try and bring this to you as professionally as possible, uh, host excluded. Um, so, yeah, every, every, everyone has done that everyone has bought some merch we're really um, really really thankful for it thank you so much for doing that um yeah tell you what what else you could do if you want some ali merch christmas is coming up just buy something for your missus but just buy it in your size and then when she doesn't wear it then you've got a t-shirt haven't you laughing modern problems require modern solutions guys thank you so much for listening today for listening today guys thank you so much for listening today i'll catch you next time and i love you bye you told me not to worry and you wouldn't break my heart you told me you were sorry and yeah, my whole world fell apart you said it's not my fault and yeah i've never done you wrong i'm grinding to a hope now i can see you're moving on i promised i'd get better and i told you things would change you keep me to the gutter yeah i'll never be the same i've got to let you go now live your life and spread your wings and yeah you put on quite a show and pulled the puppet strings and are you sure that you don't want me remember all the pain or maybe you should thank me it's your loss and my gain i'm leaving now forever i won't hang my head in shame but yeah you've taken me for granted and you should feel ashamed you sold a dream to all of us a dream that we'd all die for a reason for us all to live and something we could fight for i might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn but no matter what i do my hands remembering my rifle yeah life's hard i know that still wouldn't change shit i wouldn't go back yeah i wouldn't go back feelings i hold back Memories fade, yeah, they go fast, yeah, they go fast Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess, yeah, I suppose Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess, yeah, I